0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of I Cast Fireball, an actual play 5e DD adventure where we go through the campaign Tyranny of Dragons. I'm Thomas Rodiam for this adventure, and around the table, we have.
1: I am Mickey, and I play Malamara.
0: I'm Jacob, and I play Lance Thalen. And I'm Ned, and I play Fleeple. (gasps) Untraditional intros, that must mean we're doing a word of recall,
2: everybody. (laughs) Surprise!
0: (laughs) We are doing a word of recall to go over some of your questions that you've submitted, um, either through Instagram, through the Discord, through our email account, to go over some very specific moments on the latest arc that we've had. So, similar to how we've done it in the past, we've broken them out into three sections. That's character-specific questions, um the behind the scenes questions this time around and what we've titled lonely thomas um which are the questions for the dm pretty much so what we're gonna have happen is ned is going to roll a fate die which is a three-sided die for those that are unaware and depending on what he rolls we are going to be asking and answering a question from there so ned what is going to be the character specific questions so like what results on the die
2: Yeah, I've got a fate die, which has pluses and minuses and blanks. So a minus is going to be character-specific questions, a blank will be a Lonely Thomas question, and a plus will be a behind-the-scenes question. All right, well, without further ado, let's go ahead and get this started then. That's a blank, Lonely Thomas. Oh, cool. Lonely. (laughs) All right. He's Mr. Lonely.
3: I will be asking those lonely Thomas questions. Uh, Thank you again to everyone who submitted them. Let's go ahead and go with... (laughs) We're going to go with a question that was submitted by Hunter Williams. Thank you, Hunter. It said, Thomas, how long did you have the plan to switch Mal's patron, hashtag spoilers, from Airtu to Bahamut?
0: Yes, so... Also, big spoilers for Word of Recall. I would hope you know that. Listening to previous Recall, Word of Recalls, mm-hmm. we go over lots of elements, including the most recent elements. Yeah. So the question: How long? Um, yeah. How long? That was um, that was something that sort of came out organically. I'm going to include Mickey on this one as well because it was not just a decision that I made in the moment that Mickey just had to accept. Um, I feel like that would have been a little rude just in case she was not okay with that and she saw Malamar going a different way. But I feel like there were a lot of hints along the way to lead to something like that. So I I sowed the seeds for quite a while and uh, Mickey and I had gone back and forth uh, about this moment in particular to switch patrons over to Bahamut. And um, yeah, so I, I... I just wanted to sow the seeds to allow the opportunity to present itself to where Mal wouldn't be making such a jarring character choice so that Mickey could benefit mechanically and not lose her levels of uh, Warlock. But mm-hmm. uh, Mickey, what, what are some of your thoughts on that whole process? How long were we planning it? Or how long did I start planning it before you, before I brought you in, if you recall?
1: I believe you started that a lot farther before I did. Mostly, I don't know if we ever had a plan for what happens when we get rid of Air 2. I don't know that that was ever part of our plan. But Mm -hmm. as I was searching around, uh, Xanthar's Guide to Everything has a Celestial Patron edition. Mm -hmm. And so since it was a, a newer subclass than what's in the original handbook, it felt very natural to... Well, maybe instead of just taking the, removing the warlock levels and going in to do just barbarian, maybe since we had this encounter with Bahamut, maybe she's influenced by that. Maybe that came in and overtook her magic and all of that. And so once I found the celestial fiend, the celestial patron, I think I posed that to Thomas and was like, hey, what if Bahamut then comes in and and does that and we had some back and forth about the celestial patron and the things and feats and abilities and all that that comes with that if that would be a good match to just flip so that yeah everything we've built up with malamara as a warlock wasn't just a race it just was filled in with a a celestial being
0: Mm -hmm. yeah um additionally there were I actually had a separate plan than what laid out into the podcast. And I think I shared this with Mickey briefly, like in a 10 minute, 10 second conversation we had. But initially, Mickey was presenting Malamara as this person who fought so far, so hard against their ancestry, their orc heritage, right? Mm -hmm. And so I had this idea that I was still fleshing out when she wanted to. Uh, shirk off air two to then present her with the opportunity of like a orc clan and to present her with the idea of like not all orcs are bad or being an orc is it, it's it's not good or bad it just is mm-hmm. and then malamara going through this not montage definitely not a montage but going through this like metamorphosis where she's She's shirked that side of her ancestry so long that she would discover through a tribe what it actually means to be an orc. Mm-hmm. And in th- in so doing, my idea was that in accepting both halves of her, that she would then be able to find the power either within herself to fuel this power that she had lost by shirking off air two or to maybe even have a orc matronly mother be her patron at that point as our bond to her orc side, it was still being fleshed out. So when Mm -hmm. Mickey presented that idea to me of like Bahama, I was like, absolutely. I think that's uh, a good idea as well. We should go with that. And uh, it just kind of naturally unfolded that way. And that's just an example of the Dungeon Master, you have lots of plans, and then
1: things <laughs> and change, your and, you, and, you. And, you,
0: and you and you roll with it, and you go with what the story and what your players politely demand. I mean, the way that the story and everything is unfolding, you go with that rather than what you had established and set in your mind.
1: Well, and Thomas is the kind of DM that is so good at storytelling. At least from my experience with this, I. Presented this idea to him and he presented some ideas back to me and I said great all of those work for me <laughs> whatever you want to do let's just do it because there's a lot of that is Malamara is happening in real time right so we're RPing in real time and so it's some of it's fun to have as a surprise that the DM ha- has the freedom to write out whatever he feels works narratively with everything else that's happening in the background that I as a player don't necessarily understand and so there's a lot in, of give and take and then ultimately trusting Thomas to say this is what we're going to do because I think that this works best narratively and with your character and thematically and all of that so yeah
2: alright let's give it a roll next one that's another blank Thomas part two okay.
3: <laughs> he's and
2: Lonely
3: all right. I'm actually going to go to a question. Most of these questions center around very much our kind of final, the final steps that we've been on. But this one actually is a little bit of a cutback. This goes to all the way back to episode 72. If you recall in episode 72, this, by the way, was submitted by uh, Charles Floorman. Thank you, Charles. Uh, this says Shout out to you, Charles. The Countdown. Our intrepid heroes are trying to stomp a rocket. It's when we're on that rocket with the cult, weird janitor cult thing, and this is at the end. They are presented with a lever and three pos- with th- and three positions. It is heavily implied that one of them will stop the rocket, and our heroes don't seem to know what the other options do. My question is this: What was the logic? <laughs> <laughs> puzzle surrounding that choice. Was there any way the party was supposed to be able to figure out which position did it or was it always
0: supposed to be a guess? Thomas? Yeah, so there was um yeah, no there, that's that's a good point. There was there was an option um for them to find out what position did what. I can't exactly remember, but I do know it was downstairs in the room with Stonky. Um, it might've been on his person. It might've been in that room somewhere. Um, and it was just, it was literally written on a piece of paper, uh, for Stonky cause he was, uh, forgetful and crazy, um, which was very apparent. And so he had written some of the stuff down or it might've been in his office. Actually, I think it actually was in his office that you guys broke into while the countdown was going on. It was on the floor just below regardless. Uh, yeah, there that was the idea, and this actually adventure, I I didn't edit it at all when I took it from uh, the module that I took it from. I took it from Candlekeep Mysteries, which I think we've talked about before, and I just inserted it, because it was a moment in the campaign where I was, uh, we had just gone through some really heavy stuff. <laughs> with uh, the Bloody Bull and uh, right before then we had the whole Ralph arc. And so it was very like emotionally weighing on me as a dungeon master and I was like, oh gosh. Uh, And so I needed some levity to just be chaotic and goofy as a dungeon master and I was like this is a perfect opportunity for it so I didn't edit it whatsoever I just wanted to see what would happen if I just like directly as written every single thing and so they're definitely I feel like looking in hindsight there definitely should have been maybe a little bit more opportunity to either for the players to have figured something out and maybe I, I could have added something or to be like, Oh, well maybe this means that. Um, but the adventure as written is just meant to be random in and of itself. That's why everybody was named like alpaca macadamia nut. Um, and, uh, things (laughs) like that, because it was just meant to be a literally insane adventure that made little to no sense as well. So that was fun. I was, I was, Excited for the very real possibility of each of you getting shot into space oh and then us uh, going into <laughs> Spelljammer randomly. So that, act, that would have been very fun. It's so crazy. To go, th- to go through. But I think that would have heavily sidestepped the uh, narrative that we were establishing yep. of uh, Tyranny of Dragons at that point. <laughs> so I don't think that would have
2: benefited much. So. Well, question number three what do we got? That's another blank. Lonely. Oh, my gosh. This is the last blank we're going to do for a <laughs> little bit. <laughs> no,
3: fate decides all things, Thomas. Fate decides. The
2: fate died has decided.
0: Ah! Goodness gracious. All right.
3: Lay it on me. All righty. Let's see here. We have a couple questions that center all together, so I want to make sure. I'm going to save those kind of for last. I want to make sure I'm asking kind of the outlier questions before we get to kind of the chunk that a lot of these are around. Oh, this one is, this one, okay, speaking of callbacks, we did an episode 72. Okay, let's rewind all the way back to the Caldara from Greenus. This actually is a question around that. This is from definitely not Batman 72. Thank you, definitely not Batman 72. I can't imagine there's 72 of you that are admitting that, but okay. Uh, (laughs) It says, what happened to, and I'm going to mispronounce it, I think, Ildrex? the grizzled human cultist leader. He was the one who, at the kind of cold era near greenest, he was the one who kind of started to take our side a little bit and Lance was supposed to be helping find out who was maybe betraying mm-hmm. the camp. He was in the tent. This is what definitely not Batman 72 is saying. He was he was in the tent with Mondath and Balam and everybody, but then he was never in the initiative order. I really liked his character and was sad that he seemed to disappear. Thomas. What happened to this intricately carved NPC that you tossed to the gutter?
0: So this one's a fun an instance of um, a dungeon master experiencing panic in real time. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so, um, and I can't remember if I've shared this, but uh, when they decided to attack. Mondath, and uh, all of that started going down with Resmere. Uh, oh, not Resmere. Uh, the other dragon. Oh my gosh. The one that um, Fleet Bull, that almost killed people. Langdarosa. Langdarosa. Thank you. When all of that was going down, and they're like, alright, Moonbeam, boom, we're starting this initiative. I don't know why or how I didn't anticipate this. For some reason, I didn't anticipate a fight breaking out. And so I very frantically had to create a makeshift map on roll 20 for my players to visualize what was going on in this battle instead of theater of the mind. And Ildrex, unfortunately, got lost in the fray of that. I was focused on Langdorosa, Mondath, um, the two guards, uh the halfling, sneaky halfling, uh, and uh yeah. So that was, that was what happened with Ildrex there. I haven't brought Ildrex back uh, for, I mean, it's, he's been a little bit in the back of my mind, but um, there, were so, there were so many definitive things that happened in the caldera that I I, I kind of viewed the I kind of viewed the Jank Squad's approach to that as, like, it's in the past, out of sight, out of mind. Um, but Ildrex himself was very was very hurt, actually, by the deception that the Jank Squad um, pulled over on him. And Lance Thalen being uh, the big culprit of that. So... Um, in my mind i just kind of viewed ildrix as this hurt npc and like being like i don't even <laughs> want to talk to them i don't even, <laughs> even want to see the jinx squad like
3: oh. don't even give
0: me an opportunity i don't want to even don't even give me an opportunity to see them because it hurt too much so uh, that's sort of like the un- subconscious or unconscious decision i made with ildrix but you're right he is a very uh interesting npc and uh it would be fun to see him again i would like to think
3: that after the whole battle he somehow survived he's like I gotta get out of this cult life. I'm old. I gotta retire. And he like showed up in Greenest, like, you know, after we left, like a week or two later, and he's just like, I'm new to the area, yeah. And now he's just like the carrot salesman. (laughs) Like he has a little carrot farm on the edge of town and brings
2: it. I I had this great waiter and I lost him, and I need someone to replace him.
0: And he, he'll go up and be like, Adventurer, huh? I used to be an adventurer. Nice. Until I, I got shot in the heart by a group of adventurers. Who betrayed <laughs> yeah, my instead trust. Instead of getting, taking an arrow to the knee, yeah. it's a, I used to be an adventurer. Toe's literally stabbed in the back emotionally. Yeah.
2: <laughs> mm. <laughs> All right. Question four. Thomas, guess is what it, it is. Oh, no, it's a blank.
0: <laughs> yes. Oh, <laughs> God, we're front-loading all of my stuff here. <laughs> hey, we're just getting them out of the way. We're just getting them out of the way. We Ned, still have... are you just rolling a blank die? <laughs> no. is there, is, are there no. three sides what? on that die? What are you talking <laughs> about?
3: Um, okay, we have a couple more questions still for Lonely Thomas. This one, again, is, a, is an outlier. There's three that center on one specific event. I'm saving those for last. This one is rewinding all the way back to not... Past greenest, obviously. That's the beginning of it. But we're gonna go to the Josh arc, the, the Ralph Josh. Yeah, uh, yeah, Josh, Josh, Josh. arc. Uh, this is specifically about that special, special sword, Jeremy. This mm-hmm. is from Katie Floorman. She says, with an exclamation Shout point, "Tell to you, Katie. Tell us more about Jeremy."
0: That's it. <laughs> and that that that's the question there. Mm-hmm. It's um, not a question. Gosh, that's Jeremy a was fun. Yeah, that was a demand. Jeremy was a lot of fun. Um, and we shared a little bit about, we shared a little bit in the, the word of recall with Josh, but, um, Josh was just like, really not adamant, but like, man, it'd be so cool if I have like a sentient sword, I would love a sentient sword. And I'm like, yes. And I will provide yes, it. And <laughs> I, I don't know what gave him that idea. I think he was just like, I, I just would really like this sentient sword. I like the idea. I mean, I like the idea too. One, I mean... We've got the actual play example of Critical Role with uh, Grog Mm -hmm. uh, and his sentient sword. I also read a lot of uh, Sanderson, which may be a surprise to some of our listeners. Just kidding. And uh, Spoilers is a sentient sword in one of those stories. And it is um, just so much fun. So I took (laughs) a lot of inspiration actually from Sanderson uh, with this sentient sword. Um, (laughs) Not to the extent, but I I wanted to... (laughs) Part of my motivation for how Jeremy developed in the moment was to try to trip up Josh just a little bit Um, because we had originally agreed that like he was going to talk and I was like, do you want him to talk back to you? And he goes, ah, you know, whatever's fine with you. And so, and then he kind of role played as he was like responding to Jeremy, but he wasn't responding to anybody else. Um, And so then when another opportunity came up, I wanted that. (laughs) Uh, I wanted to, like, catch him a little bit and throw him off guard. Um, One, because he's an idol of mine, and and I want to throw my idols off guard, obviously. But two, just to try, (laughs) just to make the moment more organic, you know, the more yes and there. So that was a lot of fun that I had with Jeremy. It was a fun improv moment there to inject some of my chaotic improv energy into uh, a moment and into a character that had been already established and built.
2: My personal fan theory is that Jeremy and the Singing Sword were forged by the same blacksmith. Oh, the yes. brothers! Yes!
1: <laughs> That's a good headcanon.
2: All right, next question. Would you want to place bets on whether it's going to be a blank? <laughs> That's a minus character-specific question.
0: Oh, they Kevin's!
2: This comes from Elizabeth McDowell. This is for Mickey. to you, Elizabeth. And this is probably also going to uh, be a little bit for Thomas as well. But did you know that the orcs didn't actually kill Malamar's clan? If so, did you know who it was that had lied to you? Also, if you knew these things, how long have you known?
1: So if you've never listened to a word of our recall before, um... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I am a player that writes eight pages of backstory and this was originally in her backstory. My husband uh, is a D&D player as well. He plays in our some of our other campaigns and he found the Githyanki sword and he kind of pitched to me this idea. He's like, what if you asked Thomas if you could have this really interesting sword that has a lot of Background, and to I remember it.
0: that uh, conversation because you and him called me on the phone, both of you, yes. on the phone <laughs> at the same time, being like, "Hey, Thomas, um, so we've got this idea, <laughs> and yep. it was both of you. Uh, <laughs> it was hilarious.
1: My husband creates very incredible. He creates incredibly fun characters. And so he has has these really great ideas. And so he helped pitch this idea to Thomas to get him to sell it. And the whole point of the sword was I liked this idea that something was coming for the party, but the party had no idea that they were in danger. It was kind of always on the back burner. And then once we first hit with the Githyanki, we kind of knew what was coming. And then the audience would know and the the characters would slowly find out how in danger that they were. And one of the things that Thomas asked us originally was kind of to give an arc for a character where we saw our character to kind of go, obviously being able to be flexible and change it. And I wrote a full hero's journey, detailed background of how I wanted Mal's character's arc to kind of go, knowing it might not happen that way, but that was a big part of it, was it started with her village being destroyed and that set her off on the adventure. And she had this prejudice against these half-orcs because naturally that's who she would think it destroyed. And then she put her trust in Air 2 and as she comes around the the hero's arc she finds out that there was a betrayal and then with the betrayal of Air 2 she renounces his influence and his boon makes a change and then that's how her hero progression could then come back around. And if you Google... A hero's journey. There's a whole uh, circle. That's why I keep making this (laughs) circle in the air with my hand. I can't remember all the steps on it off the top of my head. But I I took it and I literally wrote out next to each of the things how I saw Malamara's hero's journey kind of coming full circle. So yes, she knew that, or she didn't know that, but Thomas and I knew that the whole time it was written into her story specifically that Heir 2 killed the clan, blamed it on the orcs, and eventually she was supposed to learn that he lied and she was supposed to turn on him. Mm-hmm. But that was as far as I got. I didn't know
0: what happened after that. Yeah, and I believe you We you had originally put that, like, um, the Gith Yankee might have, like, killed your clan at that point. Uh, I can't remember exactly there. Or...
1: Yeah, it was the whole idea where I started from was that the Gith Yankee came in because if you read a, uh, about the, the Gith Yankee, they were seeking the sword. So maybe after the campaign, I'll post my whole... Thing the the whole story that I wrote because I I wrote out Air Two witnessing the Yankee coming and destroying the the camp the camp mm-hmm. and how he th- felt about it and why he kind of chose Mal to present the sword to and all this it's very <laughs> it's dumb detailed in background but <laughs> that's mm-hmm. the point that I T and D
0: yeah I mean it was it was a lot of fun and it was fun to throw that twist on her and Mickey's yeah. very good at being like this is what I wrote. I wrote it just for myself to help me get into character. I'm not expecting any of this. And she's still a ma- a great at rolling with the punches and yes, anding something completely different from her background. So when there was a change and it was revealed that it was not the Yankee and it was Air 2, which was different than what Mickey knew, she was mm-hmm. like, "That's that's fun. That's cool. I like that. Well, thank you.
2: Uh, while we're uh, on the topic of Malamar's arc, we've got a couple more Mal questions. And since we've already mm-hmm. asked so many Thomas questions. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I mean, let's, let, let's turn go the ahead. tables. Yeah. Let's just go ahead and get these out as well. First, this comes from DIY, who asked, how will Mal finally realize she's not a monster? Hmm.
1: That is a great question. But you should <laughs> tune in to the rest of I Cast Fireball to find that answer. <laughs>
0: All right. Yeah, I feel like Mal uh, is definitely, at least at this point, still figuring that out, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Okay. And then another one. This comes from Anthony W. Actually, uh, very similar to Hunter's question from earlier. Is it hard to switch an entire subclass due to plot?
1: I didn't feel like it's that different, which was kind of the point of taking more levels in Warlock and staying within the Warlock class. I wasn't switching in a whole new class, and I wasn't just jumping through the levels as a barbarian, I just kind of switched one out for the other. And if you know anything about the warlock class, there's just a couple of boons that change the flavor of the warlocks. And it was as easy as erasing it and writing in the new stuff.
0: Yeah, and I feel like uh, switching uh warlock subclasses is probably a little bit easier than maybe switching like a paladin subclass, right? Mm. So I think I feel like paladin are, are are a lot more like you've got oath of vengeance, you know. If some yeah. if for some reason you go from like one oath to an oath of vengeance, that's gonna drastically change how you RP your character as well. I could be making mm-hmm. assumptions there though.
2: Yeah, I'm realizing that we should probably do a celestial warlock crunch squad at some point because I think <laughs> there's some interesting well and mechanically as well some yes, yes. very there different are. abilities with the celestial yes
1: yes, that we haven't seen yet I'm very excited mm-hmm. to get into but yeah I think from a subclass perspective it's, it's as easy as just switching over a couple of things mm-hmm. but the character and the mechanics function pretty similarly.
0: The hardest part is for the player to remember all the mechanical benefits they have and all the mechanical <laughs> benefits that they lost. So
2: sure. <laughs> Mickey's got it down. I'm all about pen and paper. There you go. All right. Next roll. That's a blank. Lonely. Can I ask a
1: behind the scenes question, please?
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, poor Mickey over here is just like, <laughs> I'm ready to oh get her i so excited. Oh, fiddlesticks.
3: All All of these, I mean, yeah, all of these last three questions. we got three more Lonely Thomas questions. They all center around the Arithitor battle, the iceberg uh, mini arc, if you will, our fight with the white dragon. So there's a couple different things here. Uh, One of them is from Zachary Whitfield. Thank you, Zachary. And it says, how much health, this is probably a question that a lot of us, all of us actually at the the table have. And- probably the whole audience too how much health did arithator have left after his fight and then flight from fleeple yeah
0: good question there how much um, was that dragon hanging on that dragon had and i'm i pulled up roll 20 specifically had 31 hit points left
3: okay Okay, that's not oh. a, that's not as bad as I thought. I thought I was gonna be like he had
0: four.
1: It's six. <laughs> <I> mean, like, <laughs> no
0: <laughs> Not one hit, but a couple more rounds. For a dragon that starts off at like over two hundred and twenty hit yeah. points. <laughs> that's quite a bit. You <laughs> oh. know? And no arrow pierced him. <laughs> <laughs> and no <laughs> pierced to the side. Oh, you're sad rolls.
3: So oh, it was beautiful. So hey, sad. led to good character moments, but Oh man, that would... Mm -hmm, So probably another round would have taken him down.
0: Yeah, honestly, with how much damage Flippa was doing, like another round would have, could have really taken that out or like some two solid rounds there. Certainly one round if it was all three of you. It would have been like... Bam. One more round of that and you guys would have had him. I'm positive.
2: Yeah. Even if like Flipple had gotten in one round of attacks as the sperm whale, because like it's bite attack, it has multi-attack, one bite attack, and one tail attack. Mm-hmm. The bite attack does an average of 21 damage and the tail attack does an average of 18 damage. Oh. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Shoot. I mean, who you knew been? that sperm
2: whales have multi-attack. <laughs>
0: well, you now, now you learn. You know. that, now you'd know. Crunch squad. Oh, man. Uh, that does bring up a good point. Maybe uh, I apologize to jump in here, but I just noticed we have a question about disappointment. Uh, do we want to maybe for approach your that? Lonely Thomas questions? Yeah, we'll do more Lonely Thomas questions. No, it's questions a... K- for sure. <laughs> it's a- <laughs> It's a character-specific question.
2: Yeah, this one is uh, also from Anthony W. This is uh, targeted at kind of Fleeple specifically, but it can be for all the players. How difficult is it for the players and the DM to manage disappointment, specifically thinking with the example of Fleeple being very upset that he didn't manage to kill Um, It's interesting, man. Like, D&D is like life. Sometimes things go well and you're really happy about it, and sometimes things don't go well and you have to just deal with it. It's easy to look at these campaigns especially from, you know, an experienced GM like Thomas and experienced players like us if I may pat myself on the back a little bit where like we understand story we understand performance we understand how to like have a good arc some of us write down the 16 steps of the monomyth for our character 14 however many it is so it's kind of easy to look at that and be like well this is a story it's supposed to be satisfying in every possible way there's supposed to be like even in the moments when there's crushing despair it's supposed to have some sort of narrative impact and i think maybe just like the narrative impact that you need is just as long as it motivates you to keep on going, then you keep on going. So just like in real life, the way that I have most easily found to manage disappointment is to just keep doing my life and with time, it fades away. I know that's not maybe a narratively satisfying answer, but I don't know, that's kind of my take on it.
3: No, I think that actually works really well. Like I think in just comparing this to my own experience with, with <laughs>
2: The stupid
3: arrows. I was so mad. I was so mad at that moment. I yeah. was like, this is the worst As any
0: player would. As yeah. any player yeah. would, building up to a massive dragon attack and feeling like yeah. you're not contributing Do much, anything. if anything. And, and
3: and there's no one to blame. It's not like, you know, all you know, this stupid Thomas, you should have given me more inspiration. I guess, you know, like no. It's just how it goes. But I think going along with what you said, Ned, to find a way just how do I move forward? Like, that's what I took that moment as of how can this move Lance forward in this massive step back? And that's where I was able to have, I felt, like a really good character moment of Lance really trying to figure out himself and how he's useful and how he can help. And it led to, I really liked those moments that he had after the battle. Um, and it helped drive the narrative forward. And it's that's the disappointment. If you're disappointed, you... And I mean, that sounds so like epic of like, oh yes, you always need to find the big moment of how to move it forward. But that's life. That is life, as Ned was talking about. You find a way. How do I keep going with this? How do I get past this? And possibly how can this make me take a step forward instead of always considering
0: it a step back? Yeah, and I feel like that's really the approach that as a dungeon master i've had lots of moments of disappointment where i felt i've let a player down i felt like i didn't get enough juice out of a moment that i was planning or my plans didn't come to fruition and it really just does come down to like feeling like uh just reevaluating and seeing how you can use that moment to either improve to drive the narrative or circumvent the whole moment of disappointment in the first place
2: yeah the party dynamic inherent to D&D I think is very helpful as well in that, you know, in that moment when Fleeple is off sulking by himself, grabbing the arrows and just wondering what he's going to do with his life, being able to realize, well, gosh dang it, I do have friends who still need me to be on top of my game. You know, we still had that internal group motivation that even though each of us individually were feeling really, really bad about things we were able to still look at the broader picture and be like, well, we're still here together and we still have a job to do. So it all worked out. We've got another question to ask. Another question. That's a plus. It's a behind the scenes. Yes. Yes. It's your time I've to been shine. Waiting.
1: Uh, DIY asks us a ton of questions, which are awesome. So I just want to start with how long does it take us to record a single session? How long do we record on Saturday nights, guys? Hour and fifteen. Yeah,
2: that's yeah, usually about what it is. Our schedule is when whenever we set aside a night to record, we'll record two episodes in the course of that night. And yeah, we usually it it's not like a specific set hard and fast time, but it usually ends up being about an hour and fifteen.
0: Yeah, we start like at eight. We chat for thirty minutes, we get started recording. (laughs) We get a warm up and then we start (laughs) about and we usually go until like eleven thirty, but yeah.
2: (laughs) Nice and short and sweet and to the point. Next, a minus Okay, let's get a quick one out of the way. What is Fleeple's favorite cheese that comes from Hunter Williams? Uh, Fleeple, like, okay, if we're looking at cheeses that I myself am familiar with, Fleeple is, he's gonna want something weird, something funky, so we're probably looking at, like, a Gorgonzola. Something in the moldy kind of family. Maybe a stilton. I haven't had stilton myself, but it's just like that, that blue cheese flavor to the nth extreme. I mean, Fleeple, I think he would really enjoy something called kasumatsu, which is illegal to eat in the United States. We Ah! talked about this a little bit in Miceborn. (laughs) Is that Uh, why? It's a wheel of cheese that is infested with maggots. And the maggots oh, eat the cheese, that? and they do weird fermenty stuff to it, and you eat the cheese with the maggots.
1: Why? What is wrong with Ned? People? Have
2: you had this? I have not. It's illegal. It's illegal in the, United, in the States. United States. Well, I, I know, but he might have, you know, gone
3: on trips or something. I don't know how he heard of it before. <laughs> he might have hopped on over to Canada. Yeah, they do crazy <laughs> things over there.
2: I've got my sources. I'll get myself some tonka beans and some
3: <laughs> horse meat <laughs> and some. Ned food. heads over to Canada. He's like, I'm going to eat this <laughs> maggot cheese, and if I get sick,
2: universal health care. Bam. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that will be great. Okay, that's there's the, so yeah. That's Philippe's favorite cheese. Uh, Go next. check out My
0: Spawn and Improv Tabletop.
2: Oh it, yeah, that's it's a good campaign. <laughs> Blank. Is that lonely? It's lonely.
3: Yes, he's
2: Mr. lonely.
3: <laughs> all right. Uh, more erethitor questions around this kind of fight and battle that we're going on. It says if you could pick all over again, this is by the way from Anthony W. Thank you, Anthony. If you could pick all over again, is there a mission? any of you would have chosen over the Arithotor one? If so, which and why? Or if you don't know the details, Thomas, which would you have, which would which would have been the most fun to DM if you could pick the different one? Uh, I will say for myself, just with this question, I'd say that the the druids would have been fun, because we've never really explored druidism in our campaign, even though we have a druid literally with us. We've never really actually What do you mean? disciples a
2: cleric. Yeah, (laughs) that's That's very true.
3: He's very true. He's not a druid. He's quick. But we've never really dived into the druid world of our home world, so that one I think would have been fun.
2: Yeah, I don't know. My a lot of my reasoning for wanting to go with Arthur in the first place was because I felt like it would lead to some very dramatic story moments that would be very, very exciting to experience. And turns out I was right. Yep. So yes. I'm I'm satisfied with how it turned out.
1: Yes, uh, we chatted with that in our uh, plots against the DM uh, text thread that we have, and that was Ned's
0: what is
2: this text thread. <laughs> yep. <laughs> You don't oh, know. It's, it's been very uh, active lately. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yes, Plots exists. against yeah. the DM. Something that,
3: something that just happened in the latest episode we recorded was because of that text thread. <laughs> we were just talking about, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, my uh, good. Yeah, that's
1: what Ned was like. He pitched it as high risk, high reward. And I was like, yeah, that's that's dragons all over it. So I'm I'm glad that we went through with the tour.
2: Which incidentally, with that Plots Against the DM thread, that is why Fleeple turning into the sperm whale happened. Because it's we were right. we were talking it's before right. recording. We were like, man, Thomas gave us a clean break. We know that Arthur not coming back. But I, I, I was like, I don't know, maybe maybe Fleeple could, you know, do a wild shape and chase after him. And they were like, Yeah, do it. And I believe my exact words were, Don't tempt me, I'll do it. Yeah. And, and we did. And we almost that, killed Fleeple. There for we it. go. <laughs> and yep. Everyone said,
0: Screw
1: it. <laughs> He initially talked about (laughs) transforming into a octopus, and we talked about him having the dragon-slaying sword and jumping in. (laughs) In one of his (laughs) tentacles.
0: Oh, man, that would be amazing. Mm -hmm. Oh, man, that's fun. Yeah, I think the Arthator one was the most fun. Mm -hmm. It really allowed us to explore Mal's, obviously, background, but... I do think uh, going with the Emerald Conclave, uh, Enclave, sorry if I'm I'm saying that wrong, would have been a good runner-up, could have been a good second choice. And there were a couple others as well if none of those sounded interesting. So um, there was always, always something more to explore.
2: Very nice. All right, next question. That's a blank. This is our last right, one. This is the Thomas last question. one. Thomas okay, is done. Is loaded lonely. dice is what it Is, is Mr.
3: Lone <laughs> <laughs> All right, last one. Uh, this is about Macath. Macath, the tiefling magic user. This is from uh, Ori. Mm-hmm. That is who submitted this question. Thank you, Ori, if I'm pronouncing that wrong. I'm sorry. O-R-Y. Did Macath, Macath, Macapapa, the tiefling magic user in the dragon cave have a full NPC character sheet or was it just a name in a class, Thomas?
0: Yeah, this was a full on NPC character sheet. This was actually a provided NPC in the Tyranny of Dragons book. So spell list, um, which is one of the reasons why when Macath was like, I'm not really like an attack sort of like uh, wizard. And Lance was like, are you kidding me? I was like, no, I'm not. I'm looking at their character sheet right now. <laughs> they're and really they're not. not an attack. You do not want them with you. <laughs>
1: Please, don't take them down there
0: uh, Comprehend languages (laughs) I understand (laughs) what it's saying (laughs) I understand this pain (laughs) Um, Yeah, so Makoth was provided, thankfully In case you did want them Or in case the battles with the trolls went differently uh, Things like that was um, a fun one too, RP, because I was like, who willingly stays with a dragon under threat every single day for like three years? That's a very interesting person <laughs> or just strange person. So
2: it was fun to think that through. All right, Thomas, I've changed my fate die. We're mm-hmm. using a different one this time. However, since we're out of Lonely Thomas questions, we're going to have <laughs> blanks be <laughs> behind the scenes questions. So <laughs> that's a plus behind the scenes.
1: I thought I was going to, I really wanted it mm-hmm. to be a blank again. <laughs> <laughs> um, if it's all right with you guys, I'm actually going to do, I'm going to combine two of the questions and answer one really quickly just because it's super fast. DIY, cool. thank you again. Uh, how much do you guys filter out and post? I'm going to answer this because I am the editor. Like we talked about earlier, our recordings go about an hour, hour 15, and then we try and find a button to end on. And I take all of that and I edit it all together and take out all the extra sounds and our silly jokes that don't mesh with the flow and all of that. And then I truncate the silence and at that point it shrinks about 10 minutes usually. Between 5 to 10 minutes of extra pauses and riffraff that I have to cut out.
3: And she's very good at this, I'm going to testify to, because I remember listening to a specific moment, just replaying it back after we recorded it. And I was like, oh, that's good. And then I listened to Mickey doing it, and probably like I, I can't I can't name a time, but like it was cut so well and so fast. I'm like, man, we recorded that, and it was like a lot of like, okay, uh, and it was just like, bam, bam, bam. I'm like we sound so clever that we have all of this <laughs> ready to go right away. And she's like, nope,
0: half a second cut, boom. So she's very good at. Yep. it. I think that's a big reason why we haven't released our raw recordings. Yes, for our audio yep. because there's a lot. You guys of would pauses. be so bored. There's a lot of <laughs> you pauses. Be so yep. unengaged. Yep.
1: And that's the thing <laughs> that that's the, the interesting recordings. thing about like creating content and storytelling is we allow a lot of space for pauses and and emotion and things like that. Particularly Lance's character takes a lot of pauses in his speech, and then I take that and snip out. Uh, A couple of little minute seconds here and there, here and there and here and there so that his, we keep the pace going forward, but that doesn't hinder Jake as an actor when he is originally portraying it. And I think that that's something really beneficial about podcasting it is that he has the freedom to take the time he wants. And then I, as the editor can go in and say, we can clean this up a little bit for the listeners, but that didn't hinder the actor's choice which I think is awesome. Um, And we were just talking about, I'm gonna combine these last two questions because we were just talking about our Plots Against the DM text thread that we have. DIY asked, do you guys get time to think about what you're going to say or do in advance? And do you ever message each other and give someone a heads up about something? For example, I wondered if Jacob told Mickey in advance that he was going to give her that hat of disguise so she could think about what she was going to appear as. Most of the time, if you've ever played Dungeons and Dragons, no. You don't mm-hmm. get a lot of time to think or say what you're going to do in advance. <laughs>
3: no. We we honestly, we, those plots against the DM are just us all texting together. It's usually like very big decisions that we just like, okay, let's not take the time to do it. Like like our, our Arithitor thing. Like, let's not, like, are we going to choose that adventure? It's like, let's not take a lot of time recording to choose that. But the whole interactions, the minutia of it, the very, the, I mean, almost nothing except for like, Okay, we know this might take a lot of time. Like, what are we gonna shop for? Things like that. Instead of just being like, okay, let's. Even though the shopping episodes sometimes take a while, it's not like we we talk about. Okay, Thomas, this, this, and this, we want to look for, see if we can drum that up. But all the all the acting, all the all the RP, all of most of the moments are are fully organic. It's just the. How can we save time in some of these decisions?
2: Yeah, so you don't hear us just talking around ourselves in circles for minutes and minutes on end, trying to figure out which mission-critical thing we want to do. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. It took us, what, 30, 40 minutes uh after discussing the arithator plan and nailing all of that out. And yes. instead of doing it on the podcast, we learned really early on in the podcast. We're like, we should do some of these decision things outside of podcasts. That way, when we jump in, we are all united. It didn't feel like to us. Sometimes I feel like when you're playing at a table, when somebody wants to pull sh- a fleeple shenanigan and jumps into the water after the, the dragon and we all go, what are you doing? We were able to be united in that and be like, oh, no, we are all on board with this plan. We support him doing this and we're going to move forward with it. But, yeah, a lot of the RP moments are super organic. Jake did not tell me he was giving me the hat of disguise.
3: Yeah, I didn't know I was going to do that until
1: it happened. Yeah.
2: Let's see. Uh, At this point, we've only really got character specific questions left. So... Uh, let's start with this one from Anthony W. Is it hard for a character to bury their past, I guess quite literally with Lance, and to move on <laughs> past a driving arc that they've had from the start? How do you stop that character from getting boring and finding a new plot element that's interesting to pursue? Yeah, I mean,
3: I guess I'll take – I mean, they they called me out. <laughs> uh, I, I can take this uh, a little bit. How – again <laughs> – how is it hard for a character to bury their past? It's just, I mean, I always find characters are so interesting that just always, they always have something new to develop. Um, there's something new to explore. Even with Lance, like burying his past, they're still okay. What, how does he move? How does he move on from that now that he's finally not, you know, Emo boy in the corner. (laughs) Uh, Like, how does he branch out and be a little bit more visible? How does he decide to trust more in his relationships? I've just always found characters that have always something a little more extra to give. Just obviously. Fascinating. I connect this back to the first character I was honestly like enthralled with was from actually the television show Lost. And Lost has many flaws. I will I will especially near the end. I will grant it that. But the character of Ben Linus, who's the villain in like the first big arc of it, he's he's the he's yeah. the guy who's with the others. He's the he's like his that actor who I, I looked it up just to make sure. I couldn't know his name. His name is Michael Emerson. That guy blew my mind away when I was when I was a young teen he's really because good. I just never seen that level of like, oh my gosh, he seemed like the nicest guy and then he turns out to be the most evil guy and then he's a complicated guy and then I like him and then oh, you suck. And it's just so like building on more and more that you can always find new angles to go with. That's what I that's what I like to do with characters.
2: Yeah, it's interesting with Fleeple, there was quite a while there where I did worry that he was starting to get a little boring. I was starting to feel a little bored playing him because there actually have been times when i think i've told everybody else in the cast like when we were starting to think of which plot hooks do we want to follow to move the story forward i started upset i feel like fleeple is kind of like done i mean obviously he still has to stop the cult but he feels really good about like where his relationship is with bahamut and how he feels about his zealotry and whatnot but Then you almost die underneath an iceberg and things change a little bit. So (laughs) I think, you know, just keeping a character from getting boring is just, you know, have your DM almost kill your character. Um, But it's. Gladly. (laughs) It's doing things that take your character out of their comfort zone a little bit that will stretch them. And you know, help them get some new perspectives on things.
1: Well, we are running a little long on this uh, word of recall. We have a few more questions, but we're gonna save them for another time because we're gonna wrap up. With Captain Blue Nova asked, "What all of our favorite campaign moment is up to this point? We're at, we're going on ninety five episodes. We just released episode ninety five, so ninety five episodes of the Jank Squad. What's your favorite campaign moment?
2: Mm. For me, favorites are prone to change fairly quickly. Mm. Uh, But the one that comes to my mind right now is the fight where we're falling down a cliff with Josh. Yeah, (laughs) that's a hard one to beat. Yeah, it started out so chaotic. None of us knew what we were doing. Like None of us. We were all just like, gosh, we're all trying to do different things and we're not really communicating all that well, actually. Ned's like, I'm
0: a horse. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm a
2: horse. (laughs) In the sky Yeah And then we start falling out of a window And we're like We gotta pull this together Or we're all going to die Mm -hmm. And it worked Yeah Mm -hmm. It worked out so much better than any of us could have Well it didn't work out the way that Thomas hoped it was gonna work out Because we (laughs) killed two NPCs (laughs) Who were supposed to show up later in the campaign modar (laughs) come on but the fact that we took it from such a wild unpredictable situation and turned it into this like parallel play moment of the sun shining behind fleeple and malamar descending down to the depths wreathed in flame it was it was just like it was so beautiful and the anime swing just is the cherry on top.
0: I feel like that moment, c- it could be, I mean, if we ever commission art, I feel like that, that moment, moment that you described of like Fleeple ascending and Mal descending, both killing their enemies, but in their respective like ways and then their respective belief system, like that would, that could be a really powerful moment. And Lance and just, just fighting with Mal. In the middle <laughs> <laughs> And then Lance's like, give me, (laughs) give me. (laughs) Stop it, Ralph. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, One of my favorite moments in the campaign was um, in the Caldera, the final battle with Mondath. I spent a lot of time on Mondath just because I felt she was very boring in a battle sense. And I was like, all right, this is where I'm going to kill my players. And... uh, (laughs) And it was the very first like big homebrew item that I had created ever. And I was like, gosh, I hope this works uh, without like, um, workshopping it as well and seeing how it did in battle and seeing how everybody reacted to it and how close to death we became and how that brought the characters together. I thought was like, it was just all like such a magnificent moment that, uh, still resonates with me being like, oh my gosh.
3: I can't believe that worked.
0: You know, the dungeon master, that's the that's the most fun that you have is when you, you try to throw stuff against the wall be like, I hope this works. And when you take that risk being like, gosh, this might not work at all. And then it does. You're like, oh, brilliant.
3: I would have to say my favorite. I mean, I can't. There's so many. There's so many good ones. And especially that one Ned pointed out is just probably a highlight of the whole thing. Just so good. My, but my favorite character, my favorite moments, campaign moments are when there is character conflict i just mm. eat that up for for breakfast lunch and dinner and i remember it was so interesting it was it was early on in the campaign i think it was around the caldera and i remember like you have to have to do to do this <laughs> to tell these stories and have like character conflict can motivate so much going forward if it's done in the right way it could lead to a lot of just fighting and okay well my character's cooler than your character and der, 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 der. and it can lead to a lot of potentially tension in a party or in the players and there was a moment in the caldera where I remember there was there was tension going on with with like how Lance was approaching things and how Flippa was approaching things and how uh, Malamara was approaching things and at some point we were able to it was i think the first time we did it where we found a way to move the story forward with a conflict and i remember ned actually texting i think everybody and saying like i was worried that this was just going to slow us up and he said i love the direction we're going with it like i can see how much this is going to help the story and help the characters and help us move forward and i just love those moments where we have like disagreements. And that's why I say it's so crucial to have a good group because we have learned very quickly to trust each other. That me doing this, even though it seems like it might be going against your character, I'm doing it not just because I want to, I'm doing it because I think it can really help propel the story forward. I'm thinking when Lance punched Malamara. When Lance, I mean, again, I'm relating it because that's who I play. When Lance takes the book and then realizes I did something wrong. This is Malamara's choice, not my own. And giving it back. And it just like, I love those moments. And Fleeple like questioning, okay, well, what does it really mean to believe in Bahamut? Is it just burn it all down? Or is it more, okay, I can, I can be faithful without being zealous or all these different nuances I love those moments and I love the way our our characters question and have possible conflict but it's beautiful in how it can drive the story forward and that only happens through amazing partners and Mickey and Ned are just some of the best.
1: I think those are my favorite as well. (laughs) That as much as the conflict is wonderful I also love the payoff. I find that as like as a performer and as a listener I think that I really love the moment when Lance and Mal are sitting out of of the Council of Waterdeep. And Lance finally opens up about Callie for the first time. And after the Battle of Arithator, Mal going, again, Mal's my favorite character because Mal is who I play. And so Mal going to Fleeple and talking to him about how he's feeling and what's going on because of this repertoire that they've built up that these character moments don't feel like they slow everything down. They feel like a part of the, the journey. We're not just here to hack and slash. We're also here as, as true characters. And so I love those moments. I also love when the mechanics all line up perfectly and the character that you've created does exactly what you intended it t- to do. Mal's battle with Arithotaur, a Arithotaur, that everything that I built her to be lined up perfectly in that battle with the sword and her rage and the Eldritch Blast that Thomas accidentally gave me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a critical line uh. to then <laughs> yeah. also crit on top of it. Just those moments of the dice tell an incredible story if you let it. And not allowing that disappointment of bad roles to overcome, you know, what you play. And as a sound editor, my favorite moment is the fireball trolley. If you go back and listen to that episode when they're on the trolley, the fireball into the thing and starting the trolley and the trolley going down and the trolley breaking took me Probably three hours to construct. Listening to just the right trolley sound and just the right feeling and just the right echo and just the right and just the right and just the right. I'm very proud of that
0: section. Well, everybody, this has been another Word of Recall. Thank you so much for sending in your questions, your requests, your demands. In your case, Katie, <laughs> um, uh, but we are just tickled pink that you, uh, that anybody would send us anything. Um, and we just love talking about this world that we've been working so hard to create. So as always, Jacob, Ned, Mickey, thank you so much for joining on this Word of Recall episode and listeners. Thank you. Thank you for your questions. Thank you for joining in. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review if you haven't, or if you can sneak in a second one. That would be fantastic um (laughs) if you uh, reach out to us on our social media pages at icastfireball20 at twitter instagram facebook youtube obviously our patreon that we've got patreon.com slash icastfireball20 where you can get the visual version of this episode that we are publishing as bonus content uh or you can jump into our discord exclusive there uh where you can shoot these questions off rapid fire and you don't have to wait Till a Word of Recall episode for us to answer these questions. So go check that out and see if those tiers work for you. I want to shout out Improv Tabletop. We've already talked about MySpawn, which you should definitely go check out uh, because uh, I am a Sanderson lover and an Improv Tabletop lover here. So they've got amazing one shot. I'll, I'll call them one shot. They're really four shot mini campaigns and they're doing them now live. They are coming out uh, very, very soon. So uh, go check them out. Lastly, don't forget to like, subscribe and share with friends and fellow Wacky Adventurers. But until next time, I'm Tom Shudiam and Around the Table we have.
1: My name is Mickey and I play Malamara.
0: My name's Jacob and I play Lance Thalen. It's your boy, Ned. I'm
3: here
2: as Fleetpool. Wow, wow, wow. Wow. (laughs)
0: Let's keep that fire going, everybody. And we'll see you all next time.
3: (laughs) Wow. Wow.
1: Wow. 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 Oh, dude. Oh. Hey, I could do this all (laughs) day.